I'm Kevin Price. You're listening to the nationally syndicated Price of Business program. Marianne Fairmouth, she's a regular on the Price of Business Media Network, and we love having her on the program each week, bringing her insight, particularly from her book that uh, I consider revolutionary when it comes to recruiting. You can learn more about Marianne over at Fairmouth, that's F-A-R-E-M-O-U-T-H dot com. The worker is not the problem. The worker is the solution. It's asking our workers, where's the next sticky thing going to happen? What does sticky stand for? S-T-K-Y. Stuff that kills you. Workers know where the sticky stuff is. Nobody goes and asks them about it. They're too busy giving them 14 million books of safety rules, which don't apply and are obsolete and outmoded. There are opportunities for our work and careers everywhere, if you know where to look. That's easier said than done, especially in our fast-paced and constantly changing world. Marianne Fairmouth is talking to experts, employers, and job seekers to bring you insight and understanding about what's possible. This is Career Can Do, where we're navigating the new work world. Welcome to the Career Can Do podcast, a top global podcast dedicated to helping you navigate the new work world. My name is Marianne Fairmouth. I'll be your host for this episode. And today I'm just delighted because I am the president of a company, Bill Sims, who is a leading provider of positive reinforcement systems and solutions for workplace safety. He's helped hundreds of organizations such notable companies as DuPont and Coca-Cola and Siemens and Disney to create a culture of safety, excellence, and accountability and to increase their bottom line profits. As a world-renowned keynote speaker, author, and patent holder, he shares his insight and expertise on how to motivate and empower employees to keep safety top of mind. His book, Green Beans and Ice Creams, and his keynote, Beyond Zero Injuries, have received rave reviews that have enlightened safety leaders for over 20 years. His mission is to build new safety leaders for the future and to make the world a safer place. It's my honor and privilege to introduce you to Bill Thames. Bill, say hello to everybody. Marianne, thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. Folks, nice to be with you today. Clocking in here from lovely South Carolina. Fall is in the air and we're enjoying every minute of it after a long hot summer. I bet you are. And I have to say I'm a little jealous here living in Texas. You know, we've had a lot, a lot of heat down here, but hopefully it gets behind us. But anyway, we talked in the blue room about all these cool things that you speak about and that you do. But one of them, Bill, that, you know, I was really interested in because of course I'm an executive recruiter is the HOP versus behavior-based safety, separating fact from fiction. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that is? What's HOP? Absolutely. So HOP is an acronym that stands for Human and Organizational Performance. It's an outgrowth of the Three Mile Island incident, which all of a sudden the nuclear world said, wait a minute, we got human error, we got to fix this. Let's create something called human performance. And now it's more commonly known as human and organizational performance. This has really swept the world of safety. I'd say the kicked into high gear in 2017 
my keynote addresses this belief by many practitioners of HOP that behavior-based safety is old, dated, antiquated. We need to move on. Is that really the case or is there a place for both? So where is it that HOP intersects with behavioral science? And my keynote addresses that and scored best presentation at AGC and NSC on the topic. That is wonderful. Well, I think that human organizational performance is everything. Now, post-COVID, it's even more important. Safety and HOP are very much intertwined. I don't think they're as separate as we once thought they were. But this book you've written, it really kind of interests me. I, I've taken a look at some of the pages. It's really a cool book. It's called Green Beans and Ice Cream, The Secret Recipe for Great Leadership. And I got to tell you, Bill, know what green beans and ice cream really have in common. Help me understand that. <laughs> so, you know, everybody wonders that. Bill, what were you smoking when you named your book, right? <laughs> green beans doesn't go with ice cream, man. And I'm like, dude, give me a little time. And by the end of this workshop or this keynote, I believe it'll be your favorite recipe for dealing with your two-year-olds, your teenagers, your employees who quite often act like two-year-olds and teenagers. The whole idea is that we're really, really good as business leaders telling our employees, and by the way, our kids at home and our spouses, what they did wrong. We got that down to a science. Negative reinforcement, punishment, penalty, well, we got that sucker nailed. Where we might need a little help is telling our kids and our employees what they did right for a change, and mom figured it out. Son, if you eat your green beans, you can have some ice cream. It is the remarkable power of positive reinforcement at work in the workplace. Here's the science. Here's 100 years. Here it is in the trenches at Disney, at DuPont, at General Motors. Here's how that dog hunts. It's really a very quick read, but it's science meets business on the front lines. That's profound. As an executive recruiter, you know, I'm sitting here at my desk and I'm hearing clients call me, Bill, and tell me what they're having problems with. And, you know, I told him what he did wrong. I told him. And you know what? He resigned. He left. I mean, hello. Okay. What about if you turned that around and told him, sorry, well, what'd you do right? But another subject that you talk about a lot in some of your speeches is, okay, Brewer, bridging the great generational divide. That's everything right now. How do we do that, Bill? In your opinion, how do we bridge that great divide? Because there certainly, I think, is one. 100%. I was privileged to, in Buffalo, New York, co-present with my oldest daughter, Daphne Sims, who I like to say is a fully functioning, non-chemically dependent millennial who is a contributor to society. And I'm proud to raise two of those young ladies, Carly and Daphne. You know, we talk a lot about the differences in the generations. I'm the last of the boomers. Just for the record, if you were born in 1963, as I was, you're a boomer. Much as I'd really rather be a Gen X, I would have had to show up about six months later in 64. But the boomers have a unique perspective on our work and how we approach work and our work-life balance, which quite often is non-existent, right, if we're honest as boomers, versus millennials. And so what are the differences between the generations? I always say that what we have to do is understand boomers, where we came from, but we also have to seek to understand first where the millennials are coming from. And for them, the world is a very different place. If you look at the numbers and how the economy is 
it has worked out for them or failed to work out for them as it has for boomers, there are a lot of that generation say, listen, my boomer parents dragged in every day at 8 p.m. working two jobs. I'll never do that to my kids. It's said by the generational experts that boomers live to work, millennials work to live. And I've watched that in my own two daughters, incredibly talented young women, lots of energy, lots of drive, but also they're taking a look at overall the consequences at play and consequences drive behavior. And the consequences are that need to be there for the millennials quite often are. Now, if you really want to be scared, let's talk about the next one coming right around the corner, the Zillennials, right? Gen Z. They're going to make the millennials look like boomers time. It's all said and done. But that's maybe a little longer we got time for today. You know, I hear what you're saying. In some ways, it's not that one generational sector is better or worse. I think we're just different to how to even bridge that or help the safety aspect in our manufacturing companies, in our work environments is communication. Yeah, you do it this way. The millennial does it that way. But why don't we talk about it so that we have an understanding here and maybe that'll diffuse some of the negativity and make our working relationships more positive, which can, like you talk about this human organizational performance, that's just so powerful. Safety does come into play here if we have a disconnect in communication. Don't you think so? 100%. There are so many directions I can go with that last statement you made. I would say that bridging the gap between generations The bridge is understanding what they all in common, according to research value, and what they all value, positive reinforcement and feedback from a boss. Why is that? And how do we deliver that to the millennials? Because it's going to be kind of different than Gen Z and different than a boomer. I wanted to tie that up with a bow. That's how we bridge the gap in my world. It's positive reinforcement. Now, the human and organizational performance discussion is really one that's a deeper and more interesting and rich debate. I always say that safety 1.0 is the way companies have run safety for 100 years. And here's basically how it sounds. CEO says, zero injuries is our goal and you will get it for me or I'll find a safety guy who can't. I call that caveman CEO thinking, but it's been utilized for quite a bit. So I began questioning 20 years ago, is zero injuries really the right goal or not? Turns out, 30 years later, we figured out zero injuries as a metric is more likely to kill people. And we have research to prove that. So really where HOP fits in is the safety 2.0. Safety 1.0 was the old school compliance, which, by the way, you still have to keep doing. You can't get rid of it. Blame the worker. Shame, blame, and retrain the worker. Safety 2.0 says, wait a minute. Okay, we have a worker who gets injured. Common response if you're a safety 1.0 company is, you can't fix stupid, Marianne. Fire that boy. Give him five days suspension without pay. Time out, sir. We worked that guy 18 hours a day straight for seven days. That's a system failure. Safety 2.0 and HOP talks about the latent precursors in the system that set the worker up for that fatality. These are easily, clearly seen at the BP Horizon event, which cost $108 billion in one night and took 11 lives. If you haven't watched the show, Deepwater Horizon, please do. So Safety 2.0 is a way of understanding for the safety profession. All events are not created equal. That ankle sprain in the pothole in the parking lot that we just spent umpteen bazillion committee hours trying to prevent, 
you know what? Probably was a waste of time. What we should be worried about is that near hit event that didn't get reported because our CEO says we need zero injuries at any cost. And that near hit event, 27% of them are your future fatality. So Safety 2.0 and HOP is all about looking for that and detecting it. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, taking preventative measures to communicate what is a problem so we can fix it before it gets to be a bigger problem. And beyond that, the worker is not the problem. The worker's the solution. It's asking our workers, where's the next sticky thing going to happen? What does sticky stand for? S-T-K-Y. Stuff that kills you. Workers know where the sticky stuff is. Nobody goes and asks them about it. They're too busy giving them 14 million books of safety rules, which don't apply and are obsolete and outmoded. Safety 2.0 challenges all of those old Safety 1.0 thoughts and says the worker is the solution. Let's communicate with our workers. More importantly, when we say communicate, we automatically think it's me talking to you, but more importantly is me listening to you. So communicating and hearing from our workers, where are the things that are going to hurt or kill you? When will it occur? Where will it occur? Because the workers know it. They know it long before it happens because they've been rehearsing themselves for that injury or fatality probably several hundred times. What I'm getting from this too, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, is leadership is so important. Having leadership that really understands all of this and has their finger on the pulse of being concerned about the work environment, being concerned about this human organizational performance, being concerned about employee recognition. But how do we make a great leader? How do we do that? Leadership behavior creates the culture in your company. Workers don't create it. Leaders create it. Culture drives the behavior of the worker and worker behavior creates results. Results are fatalities, lost times, recordables. It's all about leadership. And the problem is what makes a great leader great? Let's talk about that. That's what my SEAL safety engagement servant leadership course is all about. What I'm so passionate about. We bring leaders in a room. We do some exercises. We talk about President Zelensky in the Ukraine, George Washington. We talk Valley Forge. We talk about Paul O'Neill at Alcoa, and we study them, and we're saying, like, what makes great leaders great? How did you go from good to great? And they always come back with some interesting comments and concepts. They say that great leaders create a culture of commitment where people give more than they normally would without a leader present. And so how do they do that? And I always say, you know what? Every great leader has harnessed a hidden superpower, a Thor hammer, if you will, and every one of you in the room have it. Tragically, 99% of you have lost it. It's rusting away in your garage, or you don't know what it is. And my job today is to introduce you to R plus positive reinforcement, the single greatest consequence any leader can wield on this planet. And not only is it proven by science to be the greatest consequence to lead others? It's the one tragically, ironically, most often missing in your culture. Well, I think that's great information. It's powerful, it's profound, and it's so necessary for all of us to hear because I think that we're just so inclined with this big divide that we have right now is to jump to the negativity. If we can focus more on the positivity, that positive performance and reward it and 
make comments about it. I think it'll help the environment and the culture all around. So we're coming near the end here. I always like to leave the listeners with two salient points that they could take with them from this podcast. If I had to ask you, what, in your opinion, are the two most important points of safety? What would you say those are besides we just talked about good leadership? The salient points I would share relate to just leadership and, of course, safety leadership as well. I think the first one, you can light a fire within your people or light a fire underneath your people, but you can't do both. And we've seen a classic case history of that with Putin and Zelensky. Putin has lit a fire underneath his army, but Zelensky has managed to light a fire inside people. And the performance between the two, you can look at it and see night and day difference. That would be my number one salient point. You can light a fire underneath your people. You can light a fire inside them, but you can't do both. The second salient point I'd like to leave people with is that when it comes to positive reinforcement, one size does not fit all. What do I mean by that? Well, many of us have been taught, hey, you know what? If you give one person a $50 Starbucks gift card, you better give everybody one because you don't want to have to explain why Sally got one and, and Mary Ann didn't. And that's a problem. The millennials didn't invent every kid gets a trophy. The boomers did. This is what I call organizational communism. You're the hardest worker on the team, Marianne. I'm the slacker. I'm the guy goofing off. I'm the quiet quitter. And when we both get the same $50 Starbucks gift card and steak dinner, hey, my steaks is begging yours, Marianne. How's that make you feel? See, that's organizational communism. It didn't work well for Russia or Cuba. has no place in your business. But every single business has elements of it. So when it comes to positive reinforcement, one size does not fit all. All right. Well, I think this has been a great podcast. I think you've given our listeners lots to think about, lots to incorporate in how they do their business and how they do their everyday life. I think positive reinforcement is multidimensional. Not only can we use it, as you said, in our workplace, but we can use it in our parenting. We can use it in our friendship. We can use it in our relationships, okay? And I think it's powerful. Sometimes we don't do that. What kind of a world would it be if we did more of that? Okay, Bill, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Do you have a website or a LinkedIn or how do they do that? Absolutely. LinkedIn, you can find me, Google Green Beans and Ice Cream. Easiest one stop is beyondzeroinjuries.com. Just spell it out the way it sounds beyond zero injuries.com click see bill in action you get the book there you can find out more about me there all right well all this will be on my website also fairmouth.com check bill out i think he's got some powerful information to share and we certainly uh, enjoyed having you on the show today thank you so much we thank you all for listening and we'll see you all next time bye-bye we thank you for tuning in to our career can do podcast we make no guarantees on results for your particular quest, but we hope you enjoy the information presented. The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely that of the guest or speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Varian Fairmouth and Fairmouth and Company. Thank you.